Lo, the winter is past, the rain is over and gone, the flowers appear on the earth, the time of the singing of birds has come, and the voice of the turtle is heard in our land. Throws across his body, and he got it! Looking away, McKenna around third, throw from the outfield is up the line, inside the park home run! the catch up against the wall and he's gonna watch it fly strike three called he got him on strikes and welcome to the podcast with a fresh new name formerly the bless you boys podcast a feature of the bless you boys website that's sb nation's detroit tigers blog this is hook slide here along with my co-host rob rojacki and we are fully loaded for the second episode of our newly rebooted show you can find us online at www.blessyouboys.com, on Twitter at Bless you Boys, and on Facebook at facebook.com slash byb.tigers. Well, as I said, we are in reboot mode here. New format, better audio, new name. But before we get to all that, Rob, how the hell are you? I'm great. It's a beautiful day here in D.C. I'm ready to go. Is it actually a beautiful day or are you just saying that? No, it really is. It's like perfect outside. It's not too warm. It's awesome. That's fantastic. On, uh, on last week's show, we said that we were holding a contest to rename the podcast with the winner picking up a free T-shirt from Don Kelly T-shirts. You can check them out online at Don Kelly, <clears throat> Don Kelly T-shirts.com. It's not that hard to say, hook slide. Also on Twitter at Don Kelly T-shirts. And we got a lot of great entries via Twitter and the website, and probably some through email. Picking a winner was not easy, but we have deliberated on it. Rob and I have both drunk and sober. And in the end, we've decided to call this podcast The Voice of the Turtle. Yeah, I assume most people would know the origins of that name, but for those who listened to the Tigers on radio prior to 2002, this is what we heard every year at the start of spring training. Lo, the winter is past, the rain is over and gone, the flowers appear on the earth, the time of the singing of birds has come, and the voice of the turtle is heard in our land. And that is how the baseball season began for Tigers fans for countless years under Ernie Harwell's benevolent regime. And so there it is, the voice of the turtle, a deliberate homage to Ernie, a longtime Tigers legend whose announcing career saw both the 1968 and the 1984 Tigers team win the World Series. Congratulations to Blushy Boys community member Aurelio Fan. There's a nice 1984 reference for you. Uh, Aurelio Fan, if you're listening, just send me an email at hookslidebyb at gmail.com and we will make sure that you get your free t-shirt. So again, a huge thank you to our friends at Don Kelly t-shirts for sponsoring that contest. If you haven't checked out this awesome online store, just, just stop the podcast now and go visit Don Kelly t-shirts.com. Hit them up on Twitter at Don Kelly t-shirts. They have a phenomenal selection of tigers related shirts and drink koozies. They got that shirt. I'm a huge fan of that uh, reversible t-shirt, Rob, the one that says, this is our year on the one side, you flip it inside out. It says maybe next year. And uh, we talk about being on top of things. They already have a Rally Squirrel t-shirt available. So you wow, go. seriously? Absolutely. Check them That's out. Awesome. com. You can start your Christmas shopping early. Get a few shirts for yourself. Pick up the Jim Price or Rod Allen drinking game koozies. It is a good time. All right. God, I feel like that took forever to get through all of that. But the housekeeping is done. The kids are tucked in and in bed. The cheap beer is flowing. Let's get this party started. 
with our first segment, Rounding the Bases, in which we'll talk about the worst part of losing a series to Boston. This one's deep. This one's got a chance. And this ball is gone. A home run. Ian Kinsler delivers the walkoff. Number six for Ian. He rounds third. Heads into the mob scene at home. And the Tigers take the series from KC. A walk-off home run from Kinsler. Eight to six. All right, we're ready to round the bases, Rob. That weekend series with Boston. What the heck was up with that? Oh, it was a lot of the same as the uh, as the last weekend series with Boston, where they just, you know, they couldn't pitch, it couldn't hit. Uh, it, it was really just kind of a mess all throughout. Was that the, uh, what we call that, the nail, the final nail in the 2015 Tigers coffin? Um, you could call it the, the nail in the coffin, or you could call the last Boston series the nail in the uh, coffin, or the Tampa series after that where they lost 2-3. Um, or even the Minnesota series before the All-Star break where they blew that six-run or five- or six-run lead in the ninth inning, and we all remember that game, so let's just not even talk about that one. Um, you know, I don't think there was any one definitive point where they lost the season or anything like that, but it was just kind of a constant battle with them. I mean, there was never any point where they got on a roll and then lost it. It was just, you know, they'd take one step forward and two steps backwards, you know, and, going on for a month or two now and here we are you know i I gotta say losing it to boston though that it just that hurts more than anything i think because boston is just you know hot garbage on fire this year i mean last place team just struggling all over the place from their starting rotation to their you know defense i mean just a lot of bad things going on there you'd think that if if there was ever a series where hey the tigers finally get some reprieve you know a chance to kind of make up some ground that that should have been it, and yet no. Yeah, I mean they've lost you know all these series to kind of bottom dwelling teams. You know they lose four of six to Boston this year. They lose two of three to Tampa, who's falling out of the playoff race. Uh, they've lost some other series against uh, you know not great teams, and their their record against everyone outside the division is actually pretty pathetic, and it gives them one of the worst winning percentages in baseball if they weren't dominating teams like the Indians and White Sox this year. Yeah, there's there's the irony, right? That they're actually uh, their winningest record is against teams from the Central, and yet, even though they're dominating the Central, they're not dominating the Central at all. Well, the, uh, Fox Sports Detroit showed a graphic during one of the telecasts last week where they had the best five records in baseball against teams within their division, and the Tigers were on that list. Hmm. And the other four teams on that list were teams that are you know, have some of the best records in baseball and are contending for the playoffs. And then here are the Tigers, you know, below 500 and, you know, threatening to fall into last place. So an unexpected result, I think, out of that Boston series, certainly not the result that we wanted to see. Maybe a little bit more uh, expected result in what we saw with the Kansas City Royals series. Um, that, you know, you, you can drop two of the three games there, and that's that's maybe a bit more palatable because it's... it's uh, you know, it's the first place Royals who are definitely not, <laughs> certainly not looking like a fluke at all this year. But we had in our show notes here to talk a little bit about uh, Victor Martinez and his performance in that series. He had two home runs. So are we looking at uh, Victor Martinez rebooted or what's going on with Victor? Yeah, I mean, you'd hope that he would be kind of rebooted there, but it doesn't seem like he truly was um you know he had the two home runs in that game he had another home run 
I think it was over the weekend in the Boston series. But other than that, he really hasn't been picking it up. In the last Kansas City series, the one they just played in Kansas City, he uh, he didn't hit too well there. But, you know, you'd like to see him at least get back on track a little bit. Um, you know, he had a couple hits in last night's game, but it was 0 for 4 in the other two games in that series. Uh, you know, if he could get back on track at least a little bit going into next season, I think uh, Tigers fans would feel a lot better about kind of the one-two punch in the middle of that lineup. Yeah, I mean, it, the thing we have to kind of think about and discuss is, you know, you have to have, you have to have a Victor Martinez who is hitting the ball at least relatively well, uh, as you said, to fill that one-two punch. Uh, but it has to be that way if they're to have any kind of chance, I think, in 2016. Yeah, Um you know, the, we expected that with a four-year contract that he got this offseason that maybe year three and year four would be a little rough. But to see him fall off so quickly after, you know, how good he was last year. And not just in the power department with all the home runs, but with, you know, such a great strikeout rate. He was hardly striking out. He had one of the best contact rates in baseball. Uh, to see him go from that to, you know, just looking overmatched to play at times this year has really been astounding. And I know a lot of that has to do with the injury and they probably rushed him back through his rehab and things like that. Um, but, you know, p- part of it, you know, by now you'd think that even with the DL stint and all that, that it should be okay. And he still just looks overmatched the plate at times. And here's the funny thing about it to me, that even with Victor Martinez going through the injury situation, struggling at the plate when he came back, and he then he seemed to have found his swing and then it seems to have fallen off a little bit. You add that to the fact that Miguel Cabrera has also been out for several weeks now, uh, more than several weeks, I should say. Uh, and yet the Tigers are still scoring runs, and they're still uh, putting up I mean, a pretty good offensive showing, I think. Uh, maybe part of that could be because of Jeffrey Marte. Yeah, I think that part of that has to do with him, but we also have to look at them in the second half here, and they've only scored um, 102 runs since the All-Star break, which is, I'm doing the math right now, just under four runs per game. Um, so, you know, they're starting to kind of feel the effects of losing Miguel Cabrera in the middle of that lineup. And I'm glad that you brought up Marte because he's been kind of a pleasant surprise uh, so far. And one that I think will benefit from staying on the club for the rest of the season. Uh, it's really kind of nice to see what he brings to the table. And, you know, maybe they can somehow work him in into next year's uh, next year's lineup, especially if he starts to... Um, if he starts to, you know, show a little bit of ability elsewhere on the diamond to play some defense, uh, if he can be a little more versatile than just playing first or third, um, but, you know, it's it's been nice to see him, especially as far as you know, drawing walks and working the count and things like that. Yeah, I was commenting earlier uh, in our BYB command headquarters there online that uh, listening to the game last night on the radio, as I so frequently do. I heard, uh, overheard Dan Dickerson and Jim Price both talking about just sort of the performance that they're seeing out of out of Jeffrey Marte so far this year. And uh, really, I think it was Jim Price who who was speaking most uh, glowingly of of what he called his plate discipline and the fact that he will take pitches and he will wait till he gets his pitch. And we've seen that he can hit the ball with some authority. If he's got any kind of defensive talent that he can match what Nick Castellanos is doing. Is he potentially the guy that takes over at third uh, third base? I don't know if he's the guy that's going to take over at third base, but I think he could maybe cut into Castellanos' reps. Um, you know, if you get him some reps in the outfield, maybe he can start to 
play a little bit out there next year. Um, you know, I've been also surprised with how how well he moves, how well he runs, uh, and how athletic he is. He's looked, you know, pretty fluid at first base for a guy that's hardly ever played there. Um, so you'd think that maybe he'd be able to kind of translate those skills. And he's got a pretty good arm, too, to translate some of those into the outfield. Um, you know, and it, he's the kind of guy that you kind of want to have off the bench. He's got a little bit of power. He he can draw a few walks. He's already drawn five walks in about 50 plate appearances so far. Um, so, you know, he's the kind of guy that the, the Tigers, I think, were actually kind of missing off the bench this year and that they have, you know, somebody they can bring in in the key spot and, and someone that's going to be able to hit a home run. Uh, unlike, you know, someone who we mentioned last week, Josh Wilson, hitting with the bases loaded <laughs> against David Robertson in the White Sox. Yeah, I, I guess I haven't really followed Marte's uh, minor league career as closely as maybe some have. I know he didn't really play much at first base, and like you said, he seems to have done you know a, a decent job there filling in in short notice. Uh, he's got more experience there at third base. I'm not sure what his outfield experience is. Maybe you know a little bit more about that, but uh, sure, it's, it's starting to sound a little bit like the... Um, I don't know, was it the 2013 uh, series when Johnny Peralta came back and went, well, I'll just put him in left field. Uh, can Marte play left field? I have no idea. Um, I don't think he's played at all in the outfield in the minor leagues. Um, you know, a quick glance at baseball reference shows that he's played primarily third base, a handful of games at first base, and a couple innings at shortstop. Um, but other than that, no, no outfield experience whatsoever. Uh, he spent time with both the A's and the Mets, in their minor league systems, uh, he came over from o- from playing in Double A in Oakland last year. Um, but you know, and the the surprising part is he's still a pretty young guy too. He's only 24 years old, uh, only a few months older than Nick Castellanos. Um, you know, but the you know the scouts and whatever have not really kind of praised his abilities. And based on his minor league numbers, you can kind of see why he wasn't really performing that well either in, with New York or with Oakland. Uh, and he's really kind of broken out a little bit this year. So we, we promised in the teaser to this segment, uh, I want to get your opinion on this. What was the worst part of losing the series to Boston? What was that that moment in that series that you just went, oh, my God? Well, was it Jackie Bradley's home run or Jackie Bradley's triple? Because uh, <laughs> either one of those, you know, you know, a guy that's hitting, what, maybe 200 or under 200 for his career. Uh, you know, and he's a young guy, and he still may progress and, you know, be a good big leaguer. But still, to have him beat you, especially with lefties on the mound, uh, was really just kind of a killer. Yeah, that that hurt, and it, it was so frustrating that uh, I ended up writing a whole post about how frustrated I was with the way that Brad Ausmus managed the uh, the bullpen arms coming out. I know you took uh, the opposite view and actually got your post up before mine, so now it looked like I was just you know being kind of a dick and <laughs> taking the opposite view. Uh, but I mean, I, I remember clearly being you know in the car and listening to that uh, those plays on the radio, and and as soon as Gorzolani came out, I went, oh no. And uh, it played out, you know, unfortunately, the way I had envisioned the horror in my head. And uh, you can say, you know, I was just second guessing, but that's not the case. And when they when they uh, let Bradley face Kroll, uh, knowing that Bradley has slightly better splits against the lefties, I, I was not terribly surprised when he hit that triple. Yeah, I mean, I can't say I was too surprised uh, with that. Um, I tend to believe that the baseball gods hate intentional walks, especially to bad hitters. Uh, you know, intentionally, walk, intentionally walking Josh Rutledge, I think, was re- the real nail in the coffin there. Um, you know, I didn't know the numbers off the top of my head as to whether Rutledge or Bradley was better against righties or lefties, um, but you view them both as kind of bad major league hitters. Uh, so, you know, I think that even someone like Ian Kroll should be able to get uh, either the right-handed Rutledge or left-handed Bradley out. 
Uh, I believe Curl had just struck out a right-hander right before intentionally walking Rutledge anyway. So yeah, I think you're right. it would have been nice to see him go after that. Uh, the one thing I am slightly happy about is that David Ortiz didn't beat the Tigers too badly <laughs> in that last series. Um, I know he did in the, when they played the series in Boston. And, you know, that was kind of frustrating just because, you know, you have Ortiz who hit the massive home run in 2013 when we had, you know, arguably the best Tigers team of this era, you know, on the doorstep of a World Series. And then Ortiz hits the Grand Slam, turns the turns tide of the series, uh, to be honest, and then have him, you know, kill the Tigers again with a couple home runs and what was it, seven RBI in that Sunday night game in Boston. Uh, to have him, you know, kind of hit both ends of the spectrum there is just tough. You promised not to talk about the 2013 thing again, so uh, I'm going to have to go back and add uh, the censorship bleep to that entire part of that conversation. I, I'm just I, here to make you work. All right. <laughs> I think that should probably do it for our rounding the basis segment. We'll take a short break and come back with warming up in the pen. We'll tell you all the reasons to keep watching the Tigers in 2015. Here's the 2-2. It's in the fly ball, right field, deep and down the line, and- All right, so let's get warmed up in the bullpen. What's coming up in the next week with the Tigers? What are some of the reasons to keep watching the Tigers in 2015? We'll start with uh, the upcoming series against Houston, and then uh, next week there's a there's a day off on Monday, and then they take on the Chicago Cubs at Wrigley Field. Um, I'm actually going to be in Chicago this weekend, and I'm just I'm just so irritated with the way the baseball gods want to play this game because I happen to be coming back like two days before uh, that that series takes place. I've never been to Wrigley. I want to go to Wrigley to see the Tigers at Wrigley would have been just awesome, but it's uh, it's not going to happen. It's not going to work out. So uh, mm, baseball gods be damned. Uh, Let's talk a little bit about this this Houston series and the fact that we we knew the Tigers were going to be having a very difficult schedule in the second half. We knew that before they started to to suck on toast uh, in the first half. It's starting to catch up with them now, I think, having to play the Royals in that three-game series and now the, the Houston Astros. It just happened to be the two teams, the Royals and the Astros, who uh, have the winningest records in their home ballparks. And so now the Tigers had to play the Royals at Kauffman. Now they got to go uh, play the Astros at, at Minimade. I can't remember the name of that stadium. Sun Capri. It was... Uh, it was Enron for a while, and yeah, that didn't work out well. Okay. Wherever the hell the Astros play, that's where the Tigers are playing. The good news, Miggy might be back this weekend. What are you thinking? Chances are yes, no, maybe? Well, Miguel Cabrera has said that he's probably going to play this weekend, so I think that Miguel Cabrera is probably going to play this weekend. Um, <laughs> I, I don't want to you know, bemoan the Tigers training staff and anything like that, but Cabrera has kind of had free reign with a lot of that, and you know, with the, with the you know, glimpses and footage we've seen of him moving around, he seems okay out there. Um, you know, He may look a little bit gimpy running around, but we've seen that from Miguel Cabrera before. And, you know, that's really only kind of one small part of his game and not even, you know, one of his strengths really running the bases. Um, You know, it'd be great if they could get someone to run the bases for him. If you find if, you know, he could have Rajay Davis standing there by the plate. And then when Miguel Cabrera hits the ball, Rajay runs around the bases and, you know, get rid of all the injury risk that Cabrera has suffered over the last couple of years. Um, But, yeah, I'm excited to see Cabrera back in action. Just 
to, you know, get him back on the field, see him in the batter's box. You know, I'm not really expecting a ton. I'm just excited to see our Hall of Fame caliber first baseman right. again. Just to see him up there kind of grinning at the pitchers again. You know, it doesn't really matter what he does in the first couple of games. You, you got to expect he's going to have, you know, a little bit of uh what do, you, what do you want to call like a rehab, you know, a couple of games where it's, he's not going to be up to full speed, but like you said, it's, it's just good to have Miggy back in the box period. I, I'm wondering if they will put him at first base to, to start out with, or if they'll, you know, let him, let him start DHing a couple of games first. Well, Brad Ausmus has said that they might have him DH one or two of the games over the weekend. Um, you know, he had mentioned playing Victor Martinez at first base, uh, but he had said that he doesn't really want to do that either. Um, I'm not really sure what to make of that. You know, I kind of read those comments and wondered, well, why don't you just give Victor a day off? Mm. Um, it's not like he's been setting the world on fire at the plate. So you could have, you know, someone like Jeffrey Marte play first base while Mickey's DHing and have Victor take a day off. Um, you know, it's not like the games matter anymore so that they could do something like that. So, <laughs> it would, you know, I, I just I would like to see a little bit more flexibility out of that. But, yeah, I think that. We'll see Miggy DH at least one of the games. You know, they'll probably get him out in the field once to kind of see how he does. Um, it's not necessarily the fielding and the hitting that are going to really aggravate that calf strain. Uh, the The base running is really going to be kind of the thing to watch to see how healthy Miggy really is. Yeah, maybe don't try to stretch those singles into doubles or go first to third on a hit. Just, uh, you know, hang back and uh, hit the ball into the stands and, and have that light jog around the bases. Everything will be just fine as long as you know Miggy can be can be Miggy uh we were going to talk a little bit about the opposing pitchers coming up in this series and I, I'm looking at this list of names and I'm realizing that for so long I have just refused to believe that the Astros were worth even paying attention to and I'm looking at these names going I actually don't recognize <laughs> I recognize Lester and I recognize Keuchel uh, what can you tell us about the pitchers that are coming up the ones that uh, the Tigers are facing in this series well, you mentioned Dallas Keuchel, and he's going to be fun to watch. Um, you know, one of the best starters in the American League this season. Um, it's kind of surprising that he just, he just kind of came out of nowhere. You know, he was almost kind of a nobody in 2013. Um, you know, pitched fairly well. I think the Tigers lit him up for like four or five runs in a start. Um, and then comes out in 2014, kind of lights the world on fire uh, and has been doing it ever since. Um, so, you know, he's, you know, the ace of their staff. Uh, and then they get Colin McHugh, a guy who also came out of nowhere last year. And uh, the reason I know McHugh is I had picked him up on one of my fantasy teams and did pretty well with him there. So thanks for that, Colin. Um, and then they get, uh, who is it, Mike Fires on Sunday, the guy that they traded for from the Milwaukee Brewers. And uh, I think a lot of people will remember Fires as one of the people that shut down the Tigers' offense earlier this year. Um, you know, it'll be interesting to see how he fares in a little bit more of a hitter-friendly park. In Houston, uh, I know that he gives up a ton of fly balls uh, and really tries to work in the strike zone, kind of like a poor man's Chris Young from the Royals. So we'll see. We'll see how the uh, the Tigers make an adjustment to him this time around. I like how you say fires and then kind of reference say he's the one guy that shut the Tigers down this year. And I uh, probably most people would have to take that statement and go, yeah, you just narrowed it down to like. <laughs> What that, thirty pitchers? That, that list is like, a mile long right now. Actually, now that I think about it, and I love, I love how we're talking like we've just basically given up on the 2015 season. Yeah, Maggie's coming back, but the games don't matter. Look, I'm sure there are people listening. No offense to you if you're the eternal optimist and you believe that you know that they could still make a run for the wild card or whatever, but they're they're not. It's just not going to happen. And um, 
yeah, look, I just realized what I just said because uh, <laughs> I named Lester as uh, implying that he belonged to the Astros list. I just realized that that's actually you included the uh, Hamlin Lester from the uh, uh, Chicago Cubs series. So now, now that I feel like a complete doofus, uh, Dallas Keuchel is on the Astros and uh, John Lester is still with the Chicago Cubs. Um, Verlander faces McHugh. Uh, do we know who's pitching yet in the in the Chicago series in terms of uh, the Tigers, what they're throwing out there for Wrigley Field? Well, we've got Alfredo Simon pitching tonight, or tomorrow, sorry, uh, Justin Verlander, and then I believe it will be Matt Boyd pitching on Sunday for the Tigers. So then the last two will be Sanchez and uh, Daniel Norris pitching at Wrigley Field. It should be fun to watch Norris pitch there. Yeah, why not? I mean... <laughs> It's fun to watch Norris, period, I think, at this point, which which is a nice little segue to, to our next topic, which is all the reasons why you got to keep watching the Tigers in 2015, even though it really seems like, yeah, they're, they're pretty much out of it. I think Fangraphs has them at like 6% to make the playoffs at all. It's just, it's a, it's a really long shot right now. But, hey, we're still watching the games, and there's reasons to do so. Daniel Norris, I think, is one of them. Uh, I keep saying, Rob, that... You can you can say the games don't matter, and yet I think in a way they they really do because this is this is invaluable time I think uh, for guys like Norris and Boyd and maybe some others to be able to kind of work work out their issues you know in a, in a major league environment. We want to know what we get out of Norris. We want to know what's to become of Matt Boyd. I mean, what a great time to just let them go out there and uh, you know show their stuff against major league hitters, and we'll have a much better idea going into 2016 what needs to be done. Yeah, uh, the games do matter, and not necessarily in a results basis, but you know, to see guys hitting, pitching, you know, doing things well, um, you know, I kind of liken it to how I watch the NFL, um, you know, in that I really only pay attention to the guys on my fantasy football teams, um, and so as long as they do well, I'm happy. Um, you know, with the Tigers, it'll be nice to see. You know, there's a little bit more of a silver lining to some of these games now you know if the tigers go out and lose two to one but justin verlander throws eight strong innings you know that's kind of a good a good game for them um they don't necessarily need to win the games for things to for us to find reasons to be happy whereas earlier in the season we wanted more results basis you know they could look crappy but if they won then that was still a good game um you know now it's more of uh, we would rather have them play well and lose than have them play crappy and win yeah, those first couple of games after the deadline, I remember feeling, and you probably experienced this too to some extent, probably our listeners did too, but after the Friday trade deadline, just that feeling of like, actually, it's it's okay to watch now because that, that mammoth weight of expectation had been lifted. You know, it wasn't like, you know, like you said, watching the, watching the team with this sort of, uh, you know, feeling of the, the bottom falling out and every game they lose, we're getting further and further away from a playoff spot. Now that it's kind of all said and done, you know, you don't have to worry about those things. It's It's been a lot easier for me anyway to kind of kick back and just relax and enjoy the games. As long as Brad Osmus doesn't show his face, then I'm I'm pretty happy. Yeah, and you know it was. It's a lot easier now to just kind of go out and watch. You know what a guy's doing. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, for instance, last night's game, I was more focused on, you know, how Daniel Norris was pitching, um, what pitches he was throwing, things like that, more so than the result of every at bat or every pitch, things like that. Um, you know, it was nice to see them come back and win the game and have them, you know, play well towards the end there. Um, but to see, I was more impressed with, you know, how Norris was able to kind of buckle down and get through a couple of rough stretches and still work into, I believe the seventh inning, 
um, you know, with a with a game still kind of in a man- manageable situation. And then, you know, to have the Tigers come back and win like that, that's the kind of outing you want to see out of him next year and the kind of game you want to see out of them next year. Yeah, that was kind of a that was a bittersweet feeling when they roared back to take the lead over Kansas City and, and did something that had never been done yet this year. I think the the stat was uh, the number was fifty three or fifty four and O is what the Kansas City Royals record was when leading after seven innings. They were undefeated this year. The Tigers came back somehow and uh, out bullpened them in some ways, out offensed them certainly. And for me, it was like you know they came back and won, and I was super excited, like wow, what a great game. And then I kind of felt like. Uh, it doesn't even matter <laughs> like now they're like 12 games out of first place instead of 13 or whatever the numbers might be i quit i quit watching the the standings a while ago so i don't know we'll keep watching we will keep watching this team through to the bitter bitter end and be very excited when 2016 rolls around and the winter meetings of 2015 start and we can start to maybe unpack a little bit of that floating hope again that uh, there'll be a contender next year All right, I think we've warmed up enough in the pen. Looked forward to next week. We'll take a quick break. Come back with the high and tight segment. High and tight. The hot buttons for the week. We'll tell you the single biggest thing to be excited about for the Tigers in 2016. The 3-2. fly ball. Center field. This one's deep. Going back. Borges at the warning track. Looking up. And it's gone. A home run. Amazing. How about it? First chance to hit 400, and Miguel Cabrera delivers in his first at-bat of the day. All right, let's get high and tight. Let's talk about the hot-button topics. The single biggest thing to be excited about for the Tigers in 2016, Rob, you can weigh in on this, but for me, it was the headline that came out, I think it was yesterday, uh, Tony Paul, the Detroit News, published a piece, an interview with Al Avila, Al Avila wants more stats. It was basically the thrust of that article. I, I grabbed a couple of quotes that I wanted to read out here from Al Avila, the Tigers' new general manager, says, One thing I will bring different is expanded analytics. I will tell you that I feel that we have a ways to go to catch up with the industry. Yeah, you think? We have been making some strides. But we'll fast forward a little bit and add to that department. And part of that, uh, Rob, we talked last week about Sam Menzen, the analytics heavy. Um, what was he at the? He was an analytics um, advisor, I think, prior to this. But he's been bumped up to was it director of baseball operations? Director of baseball operations. And then we kind of followed that up with a discussion about what exactly baseball operations are. Uh, we're not really sure, but I think the the key point of that article that I saw was that. Uh, the Tigers were going to give Menzen free reign to hire two analytics experts, um, you know, and that kind of speaks to how seriously they're taking this. I think, um, you know, you can say to the media, "Yeah, we're going to focus on analytics and things," and you know, that's all well and good. But when you're going to spend some money on that and hire two more people and give them a job, I think you're going to take it fairly seriously. You know, they're not going to spend the money to bring in two more people and then ignore everything they say. So it really seems like Avila is going to be taking this seriously. Um, you know, as far as whether they do it right or not, you know, that's part, that part's tough to say. We'll have to see exactly how they use, you know, the research and the data that they find. Uh, but this is a huge first step for them. Uh, and really something that I'm kind of encouraged about now that Avila is taking over. Yeah. I think in addition to the fact that they, they put the money where their mouth is, so to speak, like you said, they, they're going to let Sam Menzen hire a couple other analytics coordinators, um, 
or analytics experts, as the as the piece actually says. I think it was huge that, that Al Avila said, as I just quoted, we have a ways to go to catch up with the industry. And a little bit later in the piece, uh, he says there are certain areas that we've been missing out on. I think those are two huge admissions that I don't recall anybody in the Tigers front office or from the on-field management ever admitting to saying, yeah, we're really lacking in this area of saver metrics and the way that we use them, and we're going to try and fix that. I mean, that that to me is, that's huge. Yeah, it's really nice to see that they're kind of admitting their flaws there. Um, and I think part of that is going to, I think we're going to see a little bit more of that with Avila in charge. Um, you know, everything I've seen so far seems to indicate that Avila's a little bit more of an open book than Dabrowski was, which, you know, isn't saying much given, you know, the clandestine way Dabrowski <laughs> operated. Right. Um, but, you know, it's kind of refreshing to see them, you know, take this approach, say, you know, we're really lacking here. We need to improve there. So we'll see, you know, how much catching up they do to the rest of the industry and where that all takes us. But it's definitely an encouraging start. Yeah, just a couple more quotes from from that article that, that might give us a little bit of a flavor for how Al Avila and Sam Menzen are going to kind of deploy this information. Uh, Avila said the combination is what works, the scouting with the analytics. Uh, he says preparing for next year in the offseason, the pursuit of free agents and possible trades are all areas that they're going to employ the advanced stats. He says uh, the information is funneled to the manager and to the staff. I would say they use it to their discretion as much as they need it. I don't turn in the lineup card. I never have. I never will. I'm not going to have Sam, that is Sam Menzen, come up with the numbers and go down there and say, this is what you're going to do. So, I mean, it sounds like a pretty good balance. It sounds like they're going to they're gonna use those numbers as part of uh, the offseason, the winter meetings, the going after free agents, uh, pursuing trades, also in scouting, uh, yet without necessarily, you know, what we saw like in the movie Moneyball, you know, where, where the Brad Pitt, Billy Bean character goes down into the dugout and says, no, here's the lineup. Do it this way. Wouldn't it seem to indicate, though, that uh, you'd think they would want to get a manager at this point that would be open to those statistics and, and uh, saber friendly and at least not cause any friction with what they're trying to do in the front office? Yeah, uh, you'll we'll see exactly how that kind of plays out this offseason, um, you know, whether or not Al, uh, or Al Avila retains Brad Osmus as a manager. Um, I think that we already kind of spoke last week about exactly, you know, what kind of faith Avila has in him. And I think the writing is already kind of on the wall and that they're kind of just playing out the rest of the season and not really causing any more of a PR stink uh, in firing Osmus now. Um, so we'll see what the Tigers decide to do as far as a manager goes. Uh, but I think the last quote that you mentioned there with that in that article and that, you know, Avila says, I'm not going to have Sam crunch the numbers and do this. Um, to have him kind of reference Menzen right away, you know, and mention that it, it kind of indicates to me that he's going to kind of have some free reign with this. And to give a little bit of background information on Menzen, uh, a little bit of internet research shows me that he's actually a pretty young guy. I think he's actually younger than I am, and I'm 27. You know, it, Tony Paul mentioned him as a 20-something in the article. So, you know, to give him at such a young age, you know, such free reign with the front office is uh, kind of an encouraging thing, you know, kind of a little scary in, in, at the same time. Um, you know, having someone relatively inexperienced, you know, with so much responsibility. But to them... To have them, you know, relying so much on this statistical analysis now is going to be, you know, a, a huge change, I think. You know, whether or not we see it, such of a huge change uh, in the on-field product, we'll see. But I think that we're going to see, you know, things that jive more with our views uh, as a website and the two of us, you know, play out in the, in the offseason and the next coming couple of years. 
Yeah, I was just looking up some information on Sam Menzen. Uh, certainly once we, we, we talked about him a little bit last week and then that announcement came out that he was being promoted to director of baseball operations. So suddenly it was a lot more, uh, you know, had the motivation to go find out, OK, who actually is this guy and what's he been up to and found an article that he'd written for fan graphs. So that's I mean, that's always a positive if the director of baseball ops for your team is a, a fan graphs writer, probably a good sign. Uh, as far as his age, I was noticing he looks like he graduated from Swarthmore. I'm not sure I'm pronouncing that right. I've never heard of that school, but he graduated from there in 2012. If you figure he was uh, 22, 23 when he graduated, that'd make him about 25, 26 now. Uh, he graduated from that school in 2012 and got a job with the Tigers the same year. I mean, you talk about like an up-and-coming, wow, a go-getter. So, yeah, you're right. He's he's definitely a younger guy, and that's that's probably in our favor. Um he says that the, the he got the book Moneyball as a birthday present from his dad uh, back in 2003. And that was what uh, kind of turned him on to the idea that he actually could get involved in baseball at a level other than, you know, having to go play on the field, which he didn't feel he was going to be good enough to do and, and crack the major league level. But he read Moneyball and was inspired and said, I think I can do that. And he set out to do that. And wow, I mean, <laughs> here he is, director of baseball operations at the ripe old age of maybe 26, if that. He's one of us. We got one of us inside. That's right. It is about time. I almost said a bad word there, but I, I held back. All right. So, yes, uh, the takeaway from that is we get more stats, and that makes it uh, – we've got some questions coming up that we're going to deal with in the, in the upcoming segments uh, that have to do with you know where we think, where you and I think the Tigers are going to go in 2016 in terms of who do they trade, who do they try to pick up in free agency, who do they promote from within. And I'll tell you right now um, – I don't have a freaking clue because of this information coming out because we don't know Al Avila and his style. And then to find out he's a secret saber head and on top of all of that, uh, we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that uh, in a little bit. I still think he looks like a mob boss. <laughs> he does. He totally does. And I think, uh, I think Fielder's Choice is going to have some things to say about that in some upcoming text posts. So stay tuned for some jolly good fun with that couple other hot topics that took place last week. After that uh, game against the Kansas City Royals with Johnny Cueto absolutely dominating them, as you'd expect Cueto would, the thing is that he was doing something funny with that delivery. Again, I mean, it's something we've seen before. He did it with the Cincinnati Reds, where he would stop in the middle of the windup and uh, do, the, do the half turn, the full turn, kind of the uh, Louis Tiant style. And then he added something different, where he would stop in the windup and then kind of jiggle shimmy 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 shake and then turn and pitch and basically what he was doing in all that was just throwing off the time uh, the timing of the hitters uh, altering you know the the time between his windup and the actual pitch brad osmus took issue with that and it was quoted in a couple different uh media outlets uh that he actually talked to joe west uh, the home plate umpire in that game or the crew chief in that game and and said hey that's that's an illegal delivery because according to the baseball rules you're not supposed to alter or or stop i guess uh in in the windup what do you what do you make of all that rob is this much ado about nothing is this brad being ultra whiny like the royals fans have said that he had did he have a, a legitimate gripe i don't know if he had a legitimate gripe um the rules are kind of vague in what determines whether a pitcher stops his delivery or pauses during the delivery I don't think that it was necessarily anything illegal. Um, you know, he's just trying to kind of throw off the timing of the hitters. And, you know, if he's able to do that a little bit with a little bit of a stop or a shimmy or whatever, yeah, I, good for him. 
Uh, I'm more impressed with the fact that he's still able to kind of repeat his mechanics very well doing it. You don't see this out of many other pitchers in the game. Uh, and I think that, you know, he's probably been doing this for a couple of years now, but we as, you know, followers of an American League team haven't noticed it. Uh, he's kind of been out of the limelight a little bit in Cincinnati, but now that, you know, they've hosted the All-Star game and he's been traded, he's kind of coming into, you know, the national spotlight here. You know, it, it's, you know, he's been in the league for, you know, five, six, seven years now. And this is really kind of the first that we're hearing about whether his delivery is illegal or not. So I think it's more just kind of, you know, Brad, I don't necessarily if he's whining, but maybe he's just frustrated. You know, that's the second start in a row that Cueto's just kind of come out and dominated the Tigers. And he was really cruising through that third one when he was pitching for Cincinnati before Cabrera hit a home run. Um, so, you know, he's just a great pitcher. And I don't know if the it's the shimmy that's stopping them or just him being really good? Well, it's both, right? I mean, I, I watched, you know, the replay of that game. I didn't catch the game as it was happening. It was traveling at the time, so I was listening on the radio. But I went back and watched it after hearing Dan and Jim talk about this, you know, shimmy shake that he was doing. So I got to see this. And uh, I'm going, wow, yeah, he's really, really good with his pitches and his location and his stuff and all that. Well, you add to that, you know, the deception, the deception in the movement. And just the the altering, you know, timing of the delivery and everything. I go, how in the world can you be expected to hit that when you don't, you know, you don't know when he's going to throw the pitch. He might wind up, you know, shimmy, do the polka dance and then throw, or he might slide step. And suddenly you've got, you know, the pitches coming at you before you've had a chance to blink. I I thought it was a lot of fun to watch him do it. (laughs) I marveled at it because, look, I mean, Cueto doesn't look like, you know, I'm not going to say he's a bigger guy, but he, you know, maybe a, a, a little out of shape. And you kind of wonder how in the world do you have a good enough core to go up on one leg, turn on the one leg, shimmy <laughs> and shake and still repeat your mechanics time. I mean, I would fall off the mound if I tried to do that. Yeah, uh, I think he's fun to watch, too. Um, it's, you know, just kind of it's a different thing. You know, he's being compared to, you know, a couple old time pitchers. And it really shows you that there's no one else like him in the game today. You know, being compared to someone, you know, way back when Louis Tiant was playing. Um, you know, people would also mention Satchel Page is kind of a guy who would, you know, have a, a, a different delivery like that and alter his mechanics. Um, you know, I think that I don't necessarily know what the shimmy is what's throwing off the hitters. I think that the quick pitch has more to do with throwing off their timing than anything. You know, he gets up, you know, in that leg kick and kind of pauses there. And I think hitters are kind of able to kind of wait on their, you know, their step or their swing or whatnot and be able to time it that way. But when he comes at you with that straight slide step, you know, out of the windup, I think that's what's throwing him off more than anything. And where we've kind of seen more complaints from, you know, players on the field. Uh, but, you know, I think I think it's fun. I I like to see guys who have a little bit of, you know, flair to the game. Uh, Jose Valverde was one of my favorite Tigers when he was here because of all, you know, his fun on the mound. Um, I think that baseball needs more characters, I guess you could say, like that. Um, you know, it, it kind of stinks that, you know, Cueto's coming out and dominating the Tigers. Uh, but if I was watching him pitch in another game, I think it would, I would, I would think it's great. Baseball is not supposed to be fun. That's how it goes. Just get out there, play the game the right way. Make your outs, score your runs, congratulate each other nicely with handshakes. None of this pimping the home runs and pumping the fist and kissing the baseballs. Just stop having fun. It's our national pastime. No smiles. Don't smile. Brian McCann would have something to say about that, I think. And speaking of McCann's, the other hot topic is 
<laughs> this is just so ridiculous. I can't believe I'm actually repeating this as an actual event that actually happened in real life. Jose Iglesias and James McCann got into a little spat, little WWE-style throwdown shoving match. There was some bear hugs happening. Nick Castellanos had had uh, Iggy in like a headlock thing. Anthony Ghost was involved in it. They had a fight in the dugout. And I, I don't think I've seen that ever. And I mean, not, not to that level of intensity, not where guys are actually making physical contact and shoving each other and getting that upset. And uh, again, I was not watching it when it happened. I saw the replays later. All I know is that Jim Price practically uh, crapped himself when it happened. It was like, what is going on? That is not good. That's, oh, that's bad. That's just bad. You, you can't be doing that. Uh, of course, you know, the media wanted to make something of it. And uh, people had their very, very strong opinions on both sides. McCann is a, a leader and he should have been in Iglesias's face for whatever perceived infraction there was. Some people were ticked off that McCann was even getting involved. Hey, he's not the manager, right? That's not your place to be calling out other players, and especially not in the dugout on live television. I'm not sure what to think about all this, but um, my initial reaction, Rob, is that it was it was just kind of unsettling. It is it is a little unsettling, and I think that the last part you kind of brought up there, having it happen in the dugout where the cameras are going to catch them, was really kind of the big the big flaw here. Um, you know, I think that there, this uh, type of thing probably happens more often than we think, you know, you've got 25 guys who are spending seven, eight months together. Um, there's going to be, you know, tempers will flare. There will probably be spats like this at some point along the way, but to have it happen in the dugout where the cameras catch them is kind of a, a little bit of a, a red flag there. Um, you know, I don't think even with Jose Iglesias's kind of inflammatory quotes the next day, I don't really think this is a huge deal in general. Uh, I will say that that was probably the best defensive stop Nick Castellanos has made all season long. I was really, really impressed with his quickness and his lateral movement there. Um, so, you know, whatever that maybe we just need to convince him that the baseball is Jose Iglesias uh, and maybe he'll be a little bit better defensively at third base. There was all kinds of movement down there. I mean, you know, we were talking on, on Twitter. I think uh, several of us got involved in this conversation. started by Phil Koch's brain, of course, uh, the agitator that he is, about uh, setting up kind of a, a Tigers fight tournament, you know, and seeding the, the different positions. Who would be the easiest Tiger to beat up, do you think? You know, the hardest one. And uh, that was that was just kind of silliness. But, uh, yeah, you know, you don't want to fight Nick Castellanos because, uh, you know, he's a big guy, but uh, he misses a lot with his swings. You know, he's got what that... Look at the batting average or whatever it is. Anyway, just boys being boys probably um, certainly seemed like, like you were saying, it seems like a rookie mistake. And from two rookies, gee, go figure, to try to have that out in the dugout at that time. I was a little concerned not to pile on Brad, but to totally pile on Brad. Osmus saying after the game, hey, I didn't even notice what was going on. (laughs) Just go, what are you doing? Well, I... I can't really fault him for, you know, the first part of it. You know, he's watching the game. I think Victor Martinez was hitting at the time and to have it happen behind him in the dugout, you don't really expect that thing to happen as a manager. So for him to say, you know, I wasn't really aware of what's going on. Um, you know, you kind of, I, I don't necessarily read into that too much because, you know, it's something that happened behind him in the dugout. You know, if someone fell off the water cooler in the dugout, he probably wouldn't, you know, realize that that had happened in the first place either. Um, you know, I think that having Gene Lamont go, I think there was footage of Gene Lamont sitting next to Iglesias after that. Um, you know, that's exactly what the bench coach is for. 
No, so I don't stupid. necessarily. That means, they, that means they woke Gene up from his nap. Well, it was snack time. <laughs> okay. So, you know, having Lamont there kind of diffusing tension, uh, I think, was the right call. Um, so I'm not necessarily going to fault Osmus for this. Um, you know, he's got plenty of other things we can fault him for, and we'll continue to fault him for those. Yeah. But, uh, you know, this one for him to say he wasn't aware of what's going on, I don't necessarily think is a big deal. It's not it's, so much that I'm faulting him for it in terms of, oh, I'll criticize the manager because he didn't see this. It's more just like I'm mystified because, you know, I've been to Comerica. I've stood by the dugout rails and looked down at the dugout. It's not like the dugout is the freaking Hilton Hotel, you know, where it's segmented and there's, you know, 200 feet of room. They're, they're kind of confined to a smallish space. You would think that a couple of guys yelling at each other, shoving, you get multiple players involved. And it was just weird to me that he said I didn't even notice it, you know, but that goes back to. Maybe some things that we've we've seen earlier in the season where what was the situation with uh, Kinsler doing jumping jacks, trying to get their attention to do a replay review. And Brad, Brad said, I, I didn't even notice. I'm like, dude, what are you doing during these ball games that you are so locked in? You don't see the second baseman doing jumping jacks. You don't see your own players behind you, three, four, five of these guys going at it, hammer and tong. I, my theory is he's getting stoned out of his mind before these games. And he's just like, dude, whatever. You know, Hookslide, you you said you weren't going to mention Kinsler doing jumping jacks and Osmus ignoring it, and now you did. Uh, this this podcast is just going off the rails. <laughs> I didn't say that at all. I never once said that. All right, maybe I did. I have to look back at the contract that we signed. I might have actually that might have been in the fine print, and I missed it. But you know what? Screw you, man. You brought up the 2013 Grand Slam with David Ortiz, so we are all kinds of even right now. <laughs> All right, that should probably just about do it for the high and tight segment. When we come back from the break, it's into the mob scene at home. We'll take our listeners' questions, and we're going to talk about who's getting signed and who's taking a walk in 2016. Swing the fly ball, left field, deep, going back, Cabrera, looking up, and it's gone, a home run! James McCann with the walk-off winner, number three. Rounding third, exchanges the low 10 with Dave Clark, and into the mob scene at home. All right, and we're back. Let's go right into the mob scene at home. Taking questions via Twitter, via Facebook, on the website, via email. You can contact us all sorts of ways. Uh, Send us your questions every week before the podcast. Good chance that you will get your question read out, and we will uh, do our best to absolutely butcher the information that we're returning to you. Andy Mailer, or possibly Mahler. You know, people should have to send pronunciation guides when they send this stuff. It just makes it so much easier. Andy says, what's your over-under on Anibal Sanchez being in Detroit next year? Is a trade conceivable? I don't know. Um, you know, if if Dave Dombrowski was still in charge, I would definitely set it at a lower percentage than what I think I would now. Um, you know, he's got that reputation for being, you know, this guy that's wheeling and dealing at the winter meetings. Um, you know, will Al Avila be that same type of guy? Is he going to look to build more from within? We don't really know. Um, you know, given the state of the pitching staff right now, I don't necessarily think they should be giving up, you know, some of the more established arms that they do have. So I'm going to set it pretty high and say maybe 75% that Sanchez would be back next year. Um, you know, if you're trading him, at you know the winter meetings or whatnot i think you you know you're basically just creating another hole in the starting rotation that you have to fill 
Um, you know, maybe they have a lot of faith in the younger guys to come in and step into those roles right now. But you already have to replace, you know, three. You already have to fill three spots for next year. And trading Sanchez away, that basically gives you just Justin Verlander is the only established starter in the rotation. And I think having to fill four spots in one offseason is going to be a little bit too much for them. Now, it's it's funny to me that you said because of Dombrowski, because he's gone, you actually set that percentage lower based on that because I would have gone the opposite direction. I would have said with Dombrowski, it's it's a virtual certainty that Sanchez will be back because Dombrowski would seem like, if, you know, the patterns and trends over the year that in his mind, he'd be thinking we're going to build around the core of Sanchez and Verlander, a couple of established veteran arms. Uh, despite the struggles that they've had, you know, Sanchez this year and Verlander trying to get back on track in 2014 and 15. Now I'm not sure at all. And what part of the, the uncertainty, I'm going to go ahead and roll this right into the next question and we'll talk about both. Austin asks, who do you realistically see getting called up and who do you see being signed to be uh, on our pitching staff in 2016? Uh, to me, these questions are, are very much connected and as I was saying in the previous segment now that we know that Alavila is kind of very much into the sabermetrics and wants to get Sam Menzen involved it's really hard for me to say how he's going to approach the winter meetings uh, I mean if he's going to play Moneyball to some extent and he's going to have to he's going to have to play not not Billy Bean style where you've got you know pennies to work with but uh, if, if you're paying attention to the headlines that are out there right now concerning the salary uh, requirements, not uh, what's the word I'm looking for, the budget basically, uh, payroll for 2016. I know uh, Chris Ayat has written some stuff. I think Patrick O'Kennedy has written some stuff. I never paid attention to those because honestly, I'm really shallow. So when I see headlines that are like payroll and arbitration, I, I glaze over and I look for animated GIFs or vines. I just started crunching the numbers today myself for whatever reason. And we are looking at 64% of the budget, assuming they use the same budget of $175 million, they, they probably won't, but if they were, 64% of that budget is already spoken for on two pitchers, two position players, and a DH, and also this huge mistake in Texas who's hitting home runs and falling over the base paths for the Rangers in Prince Fielder. It's a lot of money going to just a very few uh, small number of players on the roster it makes me think that uh, Avila is going to have to get a little bit creative with the payroll and maybe hanging on to Sanchez is, is something he's not going to do because Sanchez, I think, is bringing down $16 million, I want to say, for, for uh, 2016. You might, you might actually see him try to move Avila to try to make some more room on the payroll. Yeah, that would make sense if they were, you know, if they were looking to trade one of the big contracts they have on the roster. I think Sanchez is the guy to do it. He's only under contract for a couple more years, and you know he has, you know, the home run issues this year, but uh, otherwise is solid starter, uh, kind of a number two, number three starter over the course of his career. Um, you know, but compared compared to some of the other contracts on the books right now, he's really kind of your most tradable asset. As far as those uh, bigger deals go, him and Ian Kinsler, I think, were the two that are, I guess, your your most valuable assets as far as being able to trade them. Um, and I think that replacing a starting pitcher like Sanchez is a bit easier than replacing, uh, you know, a pretty valuable second baseman in Kinsler. So I would say that, you know, of those, you know, five or six big deals, I think Sanchez is definitely the most likely to be traded. But, you know, I still think that, you know, with, you know, only a couple more years left on his deal and the 
you know, potential holes they have in the rotation. I think that if they're really trying to go for it in 2016, I think Sanchez is the guy they still bring back. Yeah, I mean, I think it would make sense, like I said, to build around the core of Sanchez and Verlander. But with those payroll concerns, I'm I'm not necessarily sold on that. That's what they're going to do. And to, to get to that second part of the question of who do you think they are and going to sign, I know I said last week, on the show that they needed to go after a couple of different starting pitchers. I have completely changed my mind on that. Having seen now the, the, the payroll issues that, that we're looking at and just looking down this, this list of uh, available starting pitchers, free agents in, in 2016, you got names on here like, you know, Johnny Cueto and Scott Casimir, David Price, obviously. I mean, some of the really big names, right. And I just don't see them going after a top shelf, you know, Johnny Walker, black label, style pitcher you might get by with a and b scotch in the middle shelf if you go after um someone like mike leak who is available in 2016 or matt latos who's available some other names on this list <laughs> get this <laughs> i forgot doug fister is going to be a free agent in 2016 so maybe maybe they go back after him and we can finally stop whining about the doug fister trade maybe i don't know but uh, other names on that list, Hisashi uh, Iwakuma is on there. I mentioned Scott Kazmir. Uh, Tim Lincecum is on the list. Jeff Samarge is on that list. Uh, am I missing anybody of note? A.J. Burnett. Uh, just just some of the names that, that kind of caught my attention. I can't really say, though. Like, like I was saying earlier, Rob, I don't have any freaking clue what direction they're going to go you know, at, at this point in time. Yeah, we're really kind of at a loss for words as far as what they're going to do. Um, you know, I think if they brought Doug, Doug Fister back, I think that would only set people off even more <laughs> about the trade. Um, but, you know, it is kind of a, an interesting thought. He's, you know, kind of not having the greatest year. Um, you know, maybe you bring him back, put him in front of, you know, our infield defense now, especially if they do something with Castellanos over at third base. Um, you know, maybe he finally gets the infield defense he should have had when he was pitching here. So, you know. We'll see. Um, it's definitely going to be an interesting offseason, an interesting time at the winter meetings to see kind of what exactly Avila's strategy is going to be in filling out the roster for next year. Agreed. Agreed. And I'm not even sure where, where I fall right now in terms of my preferred method of what, what I want them to do. It's one thing to try and guess at what they will do. I'm not even really sold on a plan myself as to what I think they ought to do. I mean, there, there's a lot of... Uh, appeal i guess to, to saying yeah build around sanchez and verlander and hope that that works out um there's also i think some appeal in saying no go ahead and try and trade sanchez and spend that you know 50, whatever it was 14 16 million from sanchez and split that up and try and get a couple of you know middle shelf starters that that can help fill out that rotation because i just i don't see them uh relying on you know kyle obstein uh daniel norris matt boyd as you know three uh, three-fifths of that of that rotation Grant Gunther says, who is an, who is an unlikely call-up for September that you want to see? So unlikely, and yet you want to see them called up. It's kind of a well-timed question. Uh, I wrote a post earlier today about the you know, potential call-ups uh, for September. Um, you know, I don't think we're going to see anyone that's not currently on the 40-man roster get called up. But if we're going to go with someone unlikely that I wouldn't mind seeing, um, you know, I, I think I would have to go with, you know, kind of one of the more popular suggestions in the comments uh, in that Mike Hussman, you know, mm -hmm. maybe he gets the call up, especially if he decides that he's going to kind of hang it up after the season. You know, with the Tigers out of the race, maybe they call him up for, you know, kind of one last shot at the big leagues. 
Um, you know, Hessman is now the real life Crash Davis in that he mm. set the minor league record, uh, minor league home run record just a, a week or two ago. Um, you know, he's immensely popular in Toledo that I think would be, you know, a great, you know, kind of a send off to him if he decides to hang it up, uh, to call him up and, you know, give him a few more cracks at, you know, hitting a big league home run or two, um, kind of give him a little bit more of a storybook ending than what Crash Davis got in, uh, in, in uh, I'm totally blanking on the movie right now. Boulder, Boulder, right? Wow. All right. Yeah, it wasn't the Total Sandlot. I don't think <laughs> those baseball movies tend to run together sometimes. I'm glad you brought up Hessman because that reminds me. We won't have time for it necessarily in this show, but I think when we post this show to the page, I will include a sound clip from Cherbit of. Uh, I don't know the guy's name, the announcer for the Mud Hens, but his call of that home run is I. There aren't words. There, those words don't exist. Uh, well, but he I, wasn't using words. No, it's exactly the point. It, it did sound like something dying. I don't know. It's it's one of the most awesomely bad, hilarious calls I've ever heard. I will post that. Make sure we get that sound clip posted along with the podcast. But to get back to the the question of that, uh, who are they going to call up in September? Unlikely, likely. I mean, let's just go back over your list. I'm looking at, at the post that you put up. And you had said you were projecting the likely call-ups would be Kyle Lobstein, Ian Kroll, Shane Green, Dixon Machado, Daniel Fields, Brian Holiday. That's who you're kind of leaning towards as, as the most likely call-ups, although I don't know why Ian Kroll would ever make that. I mean, you're probably right. He's probably a likely call-up, but why they are still experimenting with Ian Kroll at this point is just beyond me. Your maybe list included Angel Nesbitt, Jeff Farrell, Stephen Moya, and Mark Krause. You know, <laughs> there's, a, there's a sick part of me, the dark side of me that loves chaos, that would love to see them call up Stephen Moya just so people will finally kind of get off the Moya bandwagon. I mean, this is a guy that came up. I remember watching him play here in West Michigan. He had that great new prospect, new car smell on him for so long. People were buying Moya jerseys. People are still wearing Moya jerseys to Whitecaps games in 2015. And there was all this, you know, let's get Moya up. Let's call up Moya. People don't understand. They haven't seen enough of him or paid enough attention to the stats to see. You got a guy who is hitting like 235, 238, something like that. And yeah, I, I just went straight to batting average like a pig to the slop. I went right for it. Uh, low batting average. Not the greatest on-base percentage. He's striking out at a 30% clip, but he's got some power. He's got like 15, 16, maybe 18 home runs uh, so far this year, 15 at AAA, I think. And there's this, uh, I don't know, this this mystique surrounding Stephen Moya, that because when he hits a baseball, there is no part of the baseball he doesn't hit. And that thing gets destroyed, and it never comes back to Earth. It never re-enters the Earth's atmosphere. And I think people get a little bit fooled by that and go, whoa massive power get this guy he's going to be awesome and you go if you plug in his statistical numbers as variables into the search engine the guy that he most most resembles currently in the majors is evan gaddis or 2014 diane viciato you know so yeah you might see some some home runs that will be impressive but there's going to be a shit ton of striking out and some bad plate discipline but you know what fine bring him up let people get the full Moya experience. We got a little bit of it last year. Yeah, why not? Stephen Moya, go for it. 
hey, you know, if he hits a 600-foot home run, it'll be entertaining, and we'll get a lot of hits on it on the site. That's, that's all we care about at this point, because <laughs> 2014 is swirling the toilet drain, or 2015, I should say, is swirling. Right now, we're just all about the entertainment. Just just try to entertain me. Uh, and I don't really have an answer to the question that was posed, uh, who's, who's the unlikely call-up that I actually think is going to get called up? You know, Moya might be. They did it last year. They might do it again this year. So I guess uh, I guess that remains to be seen. Now this next question comes from a name that I, I can't even pronounce. N N K A B C E N. I threw that one in for you on purpose. You are a dick, Nakabkin. And I was gonna, I seriously, I was gonna like you know kind of make that a bit and kind of make fun of it until I went and looked up the guy's account. I'm assuming it's a guy. It's an American from New York living in Hungary. And now I think that is just like the coolest thing ever that we, we've got somebody in Hungary who's following the tigers and following our site. I'm like, that's awesome. But dude, get a, a more pronounceable name for your Twitter handle or something. Cause whoa, that's tough. Nakabkin, whatever says, should the tigers try to trade Ian Kinsler this August? I don't necessarily know if they should. Uh, I kind of mentioned earlier that Kinsler is, you know, a pretty valuable, not only a valuable trade chip, but a pretty valuable second baseman uh, as well. Um, you know, middle infielders age very poorly and that they can kind of drop off, uh, you know, for no reason. Um, and he's definitely getting up there in years, but it would be nice to see. You know, I, I think that he's kind of one of the guys you need to build around. For next year, you know, he's a solid, a solid hitter, a solid defender, um, you know, especially when he gets on hot streaks like he's currently on right now. You know, he's really kind of hitting the cover off the ball. Um, his power has dropped off a little bit, but he's getting on base frequently. He's kind of one of those guys that, you know, if he if his walk rate rebounds kind of like it did this year, um, he's, you know, a great on base guy to have right in front of Cabrera there. He gets picked off far too often on the base pass for no reason at all. Um, so you got to kind of live with those brain farts a bit, but you know, he's still a pretty valuable player. He led them in wins above replacement last year. Uh, I'm not sure where he is this year off the top of my head, but top five in the American league. I still, as far as second baseman yeah, as far or as second baseman, top five. Okay. Um, you know, he's still, you know, a pretty valuable guy and he's putting up, you know, far more value than even, you know, the, the contract that he has and his contract is actually declining in value too. And that he's, only getting paid, I think maybe it's $14 million next year, or maybe he's down to 12 at that point. So, you know, you're paying him less, and he's still putting up, you know, pretty solid numbers for you. Yeah, it's his and Sanchez's contract numbers that I keep, uh, what's the, what is the word for that? Um, switching, inter, whatever. Buy a damn thesaurus. Uh, it's Sanchez that is getting $16 million. Kinsler gets uh, $14 million next year. And, you know, there's been... I've heard this more than once. I remember uh, there was a writer, one of the columnists last year that was kind of promoting the idea of, yeah, let's let's go ahead and trade Kinsler. And I I, necess- I don't really get the uh, the logic behind that because, like you said, it's you, you got a guy who who you're getting great value out of for the price, top five WAR right now for the American League second baseman. If you trade him off, like we said earlier about Sanchez, all you've done is create a hole that is. I think, frankly, it's very difficult to fill for the same, you know, return on investment, for the same amount of war, for the same uh, contract price. And I pulled some numbers from COTS, um, not numbers, letters, not numbers, uh, available free agent second baseman coming up 
next year because if you're going to get rid of uh, Kinsler and don't say Dixon Machado is going to replace him it's way too soon to be saying that uh, no you, you've got a good thing in Kinsler and if you're going to get rid of that these are your options you got guys like Howie Kendrick who I, I think is I mean he's he's uh, less than Kinsler in war uh, but he puts up respectable numbers but I think he's going to get paid similar ish money uh, Daniel Murphy is another one that you know I think same same situation. You know, you got uh, respectable numbers, but I don't know that you're necessarily going to have huge savings on the contract for that. Uh, ben Zobrist is is maybe a possibility, but I mean, this is a very it's a short list of available second basemen going into 2016. I'm counting 11 names on this list. Go check it out, uh, the Cots list. So I I don't know, Rob. It's like the idea of trading him kind of freaks me out. You know, I get going to the cold sweats like, eh, what are you, what are you going to put out there at second base? The Tigers have finally solved the second base problem. After yeah. That's years just, and years of go ahead. That's exactly it. Uh, you know, we saw after Placido Polanco left, okay. uh, they spent, you know, three, four years looking for a second baseman. And then Dave Dabrowski strikes gold and bringing back Omar Infante, who filled that, role pretty capably um you know to ha- to go through those few years and remember the guys you know will rhymes and scott sizemore they even tried ryan rayburn ryan rayburn <laughs> at second base uh and now we want to get rid of you know the the one good thing we had there um you know i would maybe kind of i was more receptive to the idea when they had uh devin travis sitting in the minor leagues there yeah. And, you know, his performance in Toronto this year has kind of justified that idea. Uh, But without him now, you know, you mentioned Dixon Machado, but he's had, you know, one decent offensive season in the minor leagues. uh, And you're taking him to a position at second base where you need more offense than shortstop and not less. Uh, It just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. And I think that Kinsler is kind of one of those guys you have to hold on to. Absolutely. We've solved the problem. Let's not create. Do you want to see Ryan Rayburn back at second base? Is that what you people want? Have you lost your... All right. Jay, Jay, these these name pronunciations. Jay Polger, Polger asks, now that Cuban-born Al Avila is the Tigers' GM, is it plausible that they play a more active role with international free agents? Well, you had mentioned kind of the, the whole money ball effect before. Um, and I think that what we're seeing now in that one of the new money ball tendencies, and I want to emphasize the money here, is that some of the bigger market teams are really spending a lot of money on international free agents. You know, you've had the Los Angeles Dodgers spend just an ass load of money this year on, uh, inter- on amateur talent. Um, you know, the Boston Red Sox, New York Yankees. The, the Red Sox spent... $31 million in taxes on Yohan Moncada. They signed him, they gave him a $31 million signing bonus, and they had to pay another $31 million in tax penalties on that um, to sign this guy. You know, And by all accounts, he's really starting to hit well in the minors, so who, who knows when he's going to come up. Um, you know, I would like to see, you know, the Tigers don't need to jump, you know, both feet first into that pool, spending the same amount of money as those guys. But I would like to see them spend as much money as, you know, a lot of the other teams in baseball are doing right now. Uh, the Tigers spent $600,000 was their highest signing bonus on a guy. And I think that was in 2014. Um, you know, and you've got teams like the Royals and the Mariners and the Twins signing guys for one and $2 million. Uh, so, you know, I would really like to see them invest a bit more money in there 
you know, if they start to incur some of those tax penalties, I guess that's up to, you know, the Illich family and ownership and as to whether they want to, you know, spend that kind of money on things. But it would be nice to see them, you know, butt up a little bit more against that and go after some more of the, the premium talent. Um, you know, some of these guys are kind of a crapshoot as far as, you know, they're 16, 17 years old when they're signed. But, you know, I think you've got to start with a little bit more talent than what you're getting because they haven't turned out anything yet. Yeah, I'm going to take I'm going to approach that question, I think, just a little bit differently. Um, I guess the implication is that because Alavila is Cuban born, therefore, there's more of a natural in, uh, you know, to the international market. And I would maybe not necessarily think that that's the case, because, you know, from everything we've heard, Alavila was pretty tight with what Dave Dombrowski was doing and probably had, you know, a lot of those choices to make. So I don't think there's necessarily going to be any more involvement just because he's now got the GM title. I'm not sure that that necessarily holds water as as an idea. I was going somewhere with that, and then the brain train just completely derailed and crashed, and it's burning, and I don't remember where I was even going with that. Beautiful. All right. Well, I think with with that, um, you know, you get... I, I don't necessarily know that Avila is going to change the philosophy so much it, because he's you know a Cuban guy and he's the GM now but I think that if it's if they're gonna spend more money in the international market I think it'll be more of kind of a shift in organizational philosophy you know maybe they're not going to be trading as much and maybe they're going to start to kind of build from within you know Avila kind of mentioned the the blend of scouting and analytics you know maybe they're seeing this kind of new money ball tendency and that's where they're going to focus more of their efforts uh, you know, we probably won't see a lot of these guys for another four, five, six years if they do start to spend more money. But, you know, maybe down the road, this is kind of where the pipeline leads. Uh, Avila's got a five-year contract. You know, maybe towards the end of that is when we start to see some of this talent start to shine through. Right. And and the second part of I remember what I was kind of getting at there is is perhaps maybe the implication that uh, that those international free agents might be more interested now in coming to Detroit because they've got the Cuban-born Tigers GM and that that also just doesn't necessarily strike me as kind of a, a plausible thing. So I think you know what you're saying is is largely correct. It's going to be way more about their approach to what we're calling Moneyball, I guess the Tigers version of it, uh, and where they want to pick up the talent. You know whether it's internationally or from within uh, drafting. You know it's so I guess long, the long, short, really really long version of that answer is I I don't really see it necessarily changing one way or the other. Jeff Morford asks, would you consider trading J.D. Martinez this offseason for pitching? No, uh, I really don't think you do that. Um, you know, one of the most scarce resources in the game right now is power, uh, specifically right-handed power. Um, you know, you've got a guy in J.D. Martinez who's still going to be making kind of pennies on the dollar for the production he's given you. Um, you know, I imagine, you know, off the top of my head, maybe he make six or seven million through an arbitration raise uh, this next season. Um, you know, if they want to sign him to a bit longer term of a contract, I'd be on board with that too. You know, he, I was, you know, okay with them just kind of taking the Tigers kind of taking him through arbitration this last year because we didn't know if 2014 was a fluke or what was going on. But now that he's kind of, you know, repeated it and shown that he's the real deal, um, you know, I think you really need to hold on to him. And I think he's kind of one of your cornerstones going into next season um you know pitching can be very risky guys get hurt all the time you know maybe if someone blows you away with an offer you know if the Mets you know somehow come up with you know throwing us Noah Syndergaard for J.D. Martinez straight up you know you 
kind of take that. Uh, but I don't think that any sort of prospect package is going to be worth what you could get just for Martinez next year. Yeah, and my, my answer to that question would be, do you want to see Ryan Rayburn in right field? Is that what you people want? All right. No, I don't. I, I agree exactly with what you said. It's the kind of the same question around Kinsler. You, you finally got, you know, a cost control guy who's going to be here for a while, who's got that right-handed power, who's playing decent defense. You've got the right field problem solved. Let's keep that solved because, I, like you said, I cannot imagine uh, a return package that would be anywhere near, well, I mean, plausible for the other team to offer or worth taking if it were a, an actual plausible offer, you know, of a, a prospect package. No, no. J.D. Martinez, has, I think he's got to stay. I think they should probably even consider, start thinking about maybe extending that contract just a little bit. Liz asks, which players in the current bullpen will be around in 2016? Well, I'd like to say none of them and that they just kind of start over, burn it all and do that. Um, but I think, you know, we will offer a little bit of analysis on this podcast along with the fart jokes. Um, you know, I think you're going to see, you know, probably several guys actually back next year. I think Al Albuquerque is a, a good asset to have, um, you know, kind of just throw a random name out there. You know, I think the obvious ones are going to be Bruce Rondon, uh, Alex Wilson, Blaine Hardy will definitely be back. Um, you know, you may see some of the younger guys in the minor leagues that, you know, people have been clamoring for, maybe not on the the uh, 40-man roster yet. Guido, what is it, Knudsen? Knudsen. Knudsen. And it's Guido. Um, Guido. Guido. Guido Knudsen. Um, that's going to be a fun one to say. Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, you know, you may see him start to get some looks towards next year. Uh, you know, I'm kind of interested to see what they do with uh, Jeff Farrell, who was up for a hot second earlier this year. He didn't pitch too well then uh but i actually just noticed today that he has been injured pretty much ever since he was sent back down to the minor league so maybe he was fighting that while he was here you know he really kind of shot through the system this year and put up some pretty impressive numbers before he was called up so maybe he's a guy that sticks around uh you know i'd like to see them maybe sign kind of one or two undervalued arms on the free agent market this year you don't need to go after the you know the home run the proven closer type guy but maybe a couple of guys that you know are maybe being overlooked or they, you know, have, you know, some, some sort of thing that, you know, they're not the proven closer, but they're still going to provide solid production. You know, maybe you add a couple of those guys and, you know, hopefully things actually work out in 2016. Hopefully. I'm looking through the list right now, just uh, on baseballreference.com, uh, who they've currently got in that bullpen. And I would say absolutely. Alex Wilson would be, uh, be back. Blaine Hardy will be back. I want to say Al Albuquerque is still under contract through 2017, 2018, somewhere in there. There's like maybe a club option or a player option or something. I would expect him to be back. Uh, Gorzolani is free agent. I, they better effing not bring him back. Um, Bruce Rondon, absolutely, uh, will be back. Um, hopefully, Al Avila is not going to make the Dave Dombrowski mistake and say, yes, Rondon will be the anointed closer without having first seen him prove that he can actually do that. Um, so those are the names that I would say are, are for sure coming back. The one name that's on that list that I, w I wanted to talk to you about, Rob, as I was kind of doing some show prep today, Neftali Feliz, uh, who's just not really my favorite person these days. And, and I admit I watch baseball sometimes like, you know, a, a short-term memory fan. All I recall is him giving up a grand slam that lost the game and a pretty bad outing after that. It seems like he may be, eh, maybe doing a little better the last couple times out. Uh, but I, so I went back and started kind of researching 
Feliz as a player to see, you know, what 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 is this guy's story and, and how did the Tigers come to acquire him? He is uh, under contract next year. So uh, to, uh, it's not a situation where they can just let him walk in free agency. They're going to have to make some kind of a decision, I think, either to trade him or, or you know, keep him on the on the club. Uh, but I, I know I'm probably late to the party on this, and you probably already know the whole Naftali Feliz story, but for those that don't, uh, he came on with the Texas Rangers back in 2010, and I want to say he was closing for them in 2010 and in 2011. I think it was 2012 that they got... I might be getting the numbers screwed up. I think it was 2012 that Joe Nathan came on and they moved Feliz to the starting rotation. So he was obviously, you know, producing at some level and the numbers looked pretty darn good uh, for those couple of years. And then he had Tommy John surgery. And that's when it all just goes right to hell. 2013 was lost. 2014, he spent a lot of time on the the disabled list. Did a little bit of pitching it, I think, towards the end of that season. Uh, but but struggled, and then of course this year, uh, just I think he also spent time on the disabled list this year and struggled, and so they just went ahead and released him from the contract. Detroit, as Dombrowski is wont to do, decided here's a reclamation project. They picked him up, knowing now that I know this that that there's a whole Tommy John factor involved there. And it's still been let's see if he had the surgery in 2012. He's had a couple of years to you know two and a half three years to kind of try and bounce back from that. Is it reasonable to to say that what you're seeing right now is you know this this horrible ber- version of, of Feliz is what you're going to get, or no, he just needed maybe another year to kind of bounce back from that surgery, and maybe he could be. I mean, because he looked pretty good for a couple of years there, 20, uh, 10, 2011. Yeah, I think that you know from what I heard as far as how he had performed in Texas, uh, both. Before before and after the surgery, it sounded like he had taken a while to kind of come back from everything. Uh, I think I remember reading that his velocity was kind of down in 2014, and it had started to kind of perk back up in 2015. And I posted on that at the, on the site when they had first acquired him that the velocity was coming back, but he was still having trouble getting hitters out, and he was having walk problems, things like that. Um, you know, Feliz as a closer in 2010 and 2011 was pretty dominant. He actually won the 2010 Rookie of the Year award over Austin Jackson, which I still hate him for. That's because Austin Um, Jackson can't throw a slider. But, um, but, uh, you know, he, uh, he was pretty dominant in that role for a couple years there with Texas. Um, You know, as far as, as far as bringing him back next year, uh, the Tigers do have the option to not tender him a contract. Um, The way arbitration works is that they can, you know, just say, see ya um, and not, deal with the whole arbitration process and what he would probably actually get a little bit of a raise over the four million that he's being paid this year um so i imagine he will be uh he will not be tendered a contract or non-tendered as they say um you know that will make him a free agent as to whether the tigers sign him back or someone else does uh that remains to be seen and i think a lot of that will depend on how he pitches down the stretch i was just looking at his numbers now in his last five outings he's you know, only given up one run and has five strikeouts in five innings pitched. Uh, so, you know, he has kind of turned things around a little bit, but there are, you know, a few really bad outings right before that in which he gave up five runs, three runs, and then another five runs um, in just three awful, awful outings. Um, so, you know, as far as which Neftali flees is which, we still don't know. And that's kind of the, the, the beauty of having these games that don't necessarily matter is that you can see firsthand how Feliz is going to fare, uh, you know, in these last two months of the season. And, you know, I still don't think the Tigers are going to, 
you know, pay upwards of five million for him next year. But, you know, if they non-tender him and then bring him back on a cheaper deal, you know, maybe you've got kind of another middle relief candidate for 2016. Yeah, looking at those last five games, too, he's he's finally posting a positive RE24, which is that uh, uh, expected runs or the potential runs that he's saved. So that's it's good to see a positive number there. Of course, the, the BABIP against is like 111. So that may not be necessarily, I mean, I don't know, sustainable what he's doing right now. But uh, to me, it just to see kind of the backstory on him now, kind of looking at some of these numbers, uh, it kind of turned my beat around on him a little bit in terms of just saying, okay, I'm, I'm a little more willing now to see him come out of the pen uh, in these so-called you know meaningless games for the rest of the season to see if, if he can actually turn it around. That could be a, a big answer to the continued bullpen problems. So uh, I think we answered the question for Liz, sort of, more or less. Um, it remains to be seen. Alavila could surprise us all, burn the whole thing to the ground and stock it with rookies like Billy Bean used to do. And then we'll call him a genius if it works out. All right. That'll wrap up the Into the Mob Scene at Home segment. Make sure to send us your questions on Twitter at Bless You Boys. You can send them to us on email. Rob, what's the email that we're that we're using for the podcast now? BYBTigers at gmail.com. All right. I absolutely never email that address, so that's why it's not stuck in my head. Or maybe I do, but I do it anonymously. I don't know. Those hate letters that you get? Anyway, is 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 in Cabson in in, in Gibson, Is that your is that your pseudonym now? Yes, I made up the whole Hungary story. It's really me, just uh yeah, and it backfired because then I had to pronounce that name. So, yay me! All right, we're gonna take another short break. When we come back, we'll wrap things up with the seventh inning Kvetch, and we will show you how to fix the bullpen. Three now. Here's the two two. Oh boy! Curveball grabbed the outside corner, Victor. Not happy. Pitch that he felt went around the plate. You rarely see Victor complain. Red Osmus better get out there quickly. Oh. And Victor got tossed. Wow. All right, and we are back with the final segment of the show today, the seventh inning Kvetch. We're going to tell you how to fix the Tigers' bullpen as much as, as we can or I can. I'm not sure if Rob brought an alternate plan, but I, I prepared some notes. Uh, the seventh inning Kvetch fielder's choice had suggested that we call this podcast, the art of bitching, which I thought was a really great idea. I just didn't ever want to have to call Dan Dickerson on the phone and say, Hey, would you like to come and be a guest on our podcast? It's called the art of actually, you know what? Never mind. We'll just, we'll just leave that where it is. So the, the seventh inning Kvetch is a, is a happy medium, I think. So we'll just, uh, this will be the, the portion of the show when we get to kind of sound off, and talk about uh, whatever's on our minds, baseball-related, or maybe maybe lifestyle-related. I don't know. What kind of coffee you like? Who <laughs> doesn't matter? Uh, I promised last podcast uh, that I would propose my plan for how to fix the bullpen. And I've, this is probably not going to be news to anyone because I've written about this sort of thing before. But um, it basically, it, it's kind of a co- carbon copy of, of what used to be normal in the 1980s uh, back in you know in the time of uh, Raleigh Fingers in the 70s or Willie Hernandez in the mid 80s um, basically it's it's a pretty simple formula it really is you, you have nine innings to fill with pitching you basically want to run your pitchers out from inning number one to inning number nine in order of best to not so good to, to worst you don't bring out the bad guys 
unless you absolutely have to. And I was looking back over some game logs from the 1984 season. Rob, there is some bizarre, bizarre stuff in the in those game logs in games where um, even in games where the Tigers were getting blown out. You know, it'd be like ten to three in the ninth inning or the eighth inning. Sparky would still run his relief ace, Willie Hernandez, out to the mound. It's like there was not even a thought in his head of, well, it's a safe situation or it's not or, you know, whatever it might be. There are games when Willie Hernandez came in. I was looking at one. The starter had to come out in the seventh inning, first part of the seventh inning. He brings out Willie Hernandez to pitch the rest of the seventh. It's a tie ball game, by the way, if that if that helps. And it's, it's an away game, tie ball game. The relief ace comes out in the seventh. Pitches the eighth, pitches the ninth, pitches the tenth. It's like three full innings plus that that Willie Hernandez is out there on the mound, and then uh, even Sparky wouldn't, you know, push him push his ace much beyond that. Game is still tied, so he goes to Aurelio Lopez, who's his number two, you know, arm in the pen. Lopez pitches the eleventh. Tigers take the lead, and then Lopez closes it out. I mean, it's it's a really simple formula, but Rob to do this to make it work you got to have guys that can actually throw more than one inning. And so I think instead of spending top dollar for so-called proven closers, and we know how volatile those can be, you can be, you know, you can be the guy in one year and then not the next, rather than putting all your eggs in that one basket, I think what you do is you you just simply get three to four guys who are what we would consider, um, what do they call that? Uh, Suddenly the term escapes me. Not middle relief. Swingmen. Swingmen. Long reliever. There you go. Long relievers. The long relievers, the guys that you can kind of count on. Because in my thinking, you know, if if these guys are your quote-unquote long relief, they've got to be fairly reliable, wouldn't you think? I mean, you're not going to run a guy out there to pitch the fourth, fifth, sixth, or whatever if you think he's going to absolutely suck it up while he's out there. you got to have some confidence that he can keep the game score close or close enough or, or not completely let it get out of hand. The well, go ahead. The way that you know the relief roles have evolved now is that the long reliever is kind of your sixth starter, or the guy who you know you don't necessarily trust to start every fifth day, um, and you know he's kind of the like you know some broadcasters will, will say your mop up guy. Mm. You know, with things have totally gone to hell, you put him in, and hopefully he eats four or five six innings to save the bullpen. Um, sometimes those guys are getting shelled along the way and giving up three or four more runs in those four or five innings. Um, you know, but maybe, you know, sometimes the, I don't know if the other offense takes their foot off the gas or what, but you get guys that will come in and, you know, after the starter has given up six runs in two innings, you know, the, the mop up guy or long reliever or whatever you want to call him throws five shutout innings. And then you're in the seventh, you're still down seven to two, but Hey, you've only used one reliever so far. Um, you know, getting a few of those guys does kind of make sense. Um, you know, I'm I'm really curious here. Uh, how exactly did Sparky Anderson go ready lefty with uh, only using one reliever at a time? <laughs> uh, to to quote Earl Weaver, you don't need to play ready lefty matchups when the guy that's on the mound can get both righties and lefties out equally. You don't even need to play the matchups. And of course, Willie Hernandez was a screwballing left-hander who was virtually unhittable in 1984. And it's pretty amazing considering that he threw like 140 innings, which is double the amount that most even, you know, top shelf elite closers today will throw what max 80. If that, uh, it it, it was a crazier time, but I think the formula, you know, of saying, I'm going to bring my best guy out of the pen first seems to make sense. 
there's there's this wrong I think mentality, and I heard a broadcaster, can't remember which team it was, the other night saying, uh, you know, boy, the the ninth inning, those are the three hardest outs to get, and I go bullshit. They're not. They are absolutely not. And there was that that study done, I'm trying to think, a couple of years back or whatever it was that that took the last hundred years of baseball data, which covers an era when there were no such thing as closers starters pitched all the way to the end it also covers the period of time when there were relief aces like willie hernandez it covers the period of time when you had ninth inning specialists the point is over a hundred years of data the team that is leading going into the ninth wins 85 percent of the time that would suggest that ninth inning is not necessarily the three hardest outs to get you can put i don't want to say anybody in there but you don't have to you don't have to buy an Araldus Chapman or a Craig Kimbrell to get through it. I think you can go out there with a Blaine Hardy and Alex Wilson, you know, maybe a slightly better version of those guys, I'm not sure, uh, who can give you, you know, when, when Justin Verlander is done in the seventh, then it's Wilson for the eighth and the ninth. And maybe the next day it's Hardy for the eighth and the ninth. In fact, Rob, I was looking through uh, as best I could, trying to search base- baseball reference for who's out there right now. Uh, in terms of long relievers, it's not exactly an easy search. They don't have a drop-down option where you just say, yeah, show me long relief. Um, but three names that kind of stuck out at me, and these don't necessarily have to be the names, but you got three guys in Scott Carroll, who's doing long relief for the White Sox, uh, putting up fairly decent numbers. I think his ERA is around 3.4. Yeah, I went right to ERA. I did it again. He's doing okay, is my point. And if you consider that when you... That's that's a 3.4 ERA over nine innings. When you split that up inning by inning, he's giving up less than half a run per inning. That This is a guy you can run out there for, in theory, you can run him out there for two innings, and you know, you're going to be okay if you have a 2-3 run lead. Um, he's a free agent. He's uh, Sorry, he's in his second full year. He's not a free agent until 2021. So now you got a guy who you can hang on to for a while if he's any good at that, at that role. Uh, Carlos Villanueva. Um, is more of your your veteran long reliever. Um, he will be he will actually be a free agent next year. So again, another option for a long reliever who's posting some pretty darn good numbers. And then uh, Vidal Nuno is another younger guy. He's in his third year and uh, not a free agent until 2020. So I, I guess what I'm saying, Rob, is that you've got options here for guys that post pretty darn good numbers that I think you can run out there as multiple inning relief aces so to speak you know if you got to come in in the seventh with two outs or in the eighth with one out get the long-term saves these guys are cheap uh the is getting i think two million per year i mean that's ridiculously cheap considering what you're going to pay for a true elite closer so that's that's my crazy theory ditch the whole we need to pay top money for a top shelf closer and pay big money for a setup man and then put all our eggs in two pitching baskets that if they go wrong good god help you because then you've got Gorzolani to rely on go get three or four long inning uh, long relief multiple inning guys that can still post good numbers and run them out there in that order you know let your starter go and then go best guy out of the pen next best guy out of the pen what do you, uh, I mean I, I'm crazy I realize this is never going to happen but that's that's my theory. Well, it would be nice to see kind of them start to think along those lines. You know, you've got a couple guys in Alex Wilson and Blaine Hardy who can already <clears throat> log multiple innings for you. 
Um, you've got a slew of kind of these quad A starters, I guess you could call them, guys like Buck Farmer, Kyle Lobstein, Kyle Ryan. Um, you know, I know that I believe it was Jeff Roberts on our site posted a, a something about Buck Farmer and how he was very good the first time through the lineup, but really kind of sucked eggs the second time through. Um, you know, you get a guy like that, he can work two or three innings for you. Um, you know, and before he really starts to lose it. And, you know, you don't necessarily, this is kind of goes back to your Earl Weaver train of thought. Um, you know, you use a guy like Buck Farmer and that, have him log maybe 100 innings in that role, uh, you know, and maybe he's ready for starting duty the next year. This is kind of got how guys were broken into the big leagues back then. Uh, and it definitely makes sense to have them, you know, kind of work in that role, get them a taste of the big leagues, get them used to kind of pitching on fire, and then maybe they do evolve and they work on that third pitch and they're able to fit into the starting rotation. And if not, then you still got a solid relief option going forward. It just makes sense. Of course, it's not necessarily a tested theory. Uh, you know, I don't want to give the impression that Sparky Anderson was using long relievers for his relief aces. Willie Hernandez was, you know, a true ace reliever. It's just that if Willie Hernandez were pitching today, the manager would lock him up for the ninth inning and you would get a third of the value out of him you know, that you could potentially be getting given his, you know, workhorse tendencies. But man, I, I think you, yeah, go for it, you know, pick up a couple of these guys and promise them, Hey, if you can stretch yourself out and give me a couple innings every time out and, and be reliable about it, you will, the, 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 the um, after effect of this is you're going to rack up saves, which every other general manager overvalues. So when you come to the end of your contract in Detroit, you are going to get paid by somebody else. So there's your motivation. Come to Detroit, be a, a a long reliever who is actually a relief ace closer. All will be well for you in the years to come. Last subject. Rob, who is worse, Ned Yost or Brad Osmus? Uh, no comment. Oh, no, 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 no. No, 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 no. There's, there's no bailing out on this. As far as in-game strategy goes, I think the two are kind of one and the same. Um, you know, you have Ned Yost's famous comments about, you know, them being, the Royals being one out away from getting to Kelvin Herrera's inning uh, last season. Um, you know, they were kind of in, still kind of in the doldrums in that stretch, and then they go on a crazy run after that. Um, you know, and I did notice during the playoffs that, you know, Ned Yost was a little bit more liberal in his bullpen usage. He would go to his top guys a little bit earlier. Uh, you know, to his credit, and it really worked for them going through the postseason. Um, but he's still kind of been in that defined role this season. We saw it in in one of the games in Detroit, uh, where Yost, you know, they enter the nine in, ninth inning tied, um, and instead of going to his closer Greg Holland, Yost goes to Ryan Madsen. Um, you know, Madsen's put up some decent numbers this year, but in that particular situation, four pitches later, the Tigers are walking off with a win. Um, you know, if the Royals didn't have a 13-game lead or whatever it is they have in the Central right now, I think their fans would really be upset about that. You know, a lot of the commenters over at Royals Review, uh, SB Nation's great Royals site, you know, still kind of aren't big fans of Yost. And it seems like he's pushing all the right buttons in the clubhouse and in the, uh, you know, and with the guys behind the scenes. And I think that's definitely a valuable part of managing and why I would take Yost over Osmus. Um but, you know, as far as the in-game strategy goes, both those guys are, you know, and, and all managers, really, um, you know, they're just terrible. 
Yeah, and, and I'm certainly talking when I say who's worse. I'm talking about the in-game strategy, not necessarily what they are in the clubhouse or anything like that. You know how how well they make chai tea or whatever it is. I'm, I'm sure these guys are great, you know, in other areas. But when it comes to the in-game strategy, I, I commented on Twitter last night, and I might have been a little bit obscure when I said it uh, during that uh, during the game last night when the Tigers came back uh, in the eighth inning. Yost left his starter Ventura in uh, just a little bit too long, and by the time he brought Calvin Herrera in it was kind of you know things were falling apart and so the comment that I made on Twitter it was just basically to say look I, I'm, I'm paraphrasing it now in more than 140 characters is that uh, people always want to say hey you know you, you may pick on Brad Osmus but hey if he had the Royals bullpen you know he would look like a genius just like Ned Yost does and my point is no not really you can have the Royals bullpen but it doesn't beat stupid management it just doesn't. You can have the best bullpen in the world, and you can beat yourself, like Yost did, I think, last night by letting Ventura pitch into the eighth inning. I've been saying for months that the strategy the Royals have employed thus far, they have had one of the worst rotations in the Central. They've gotten around it by limiting their exposure to the starting rotation, by getting that bullpen out there. Their starters typically don't go more than six innings before they're off and running with the bullpen, and then that's how they're winning games. That's how they have. I mean, prior to the trade deadline and adding Johnny Cueto, that was the winning formula. It was definable. It was repeatable. It's all that you want in a winning strategy. And yet we saw last night that uh, Yost decided to let Ventura keep going well past what he normally would let his starters go. And it backfired. And he's got this great bullpen. He wasn't, I don't know what the word is, savvy enough to just go ahead and play it out. I know Kelvin Herrera struggled in that inning too, but I also want to say, hey, when you bring even the best relievers, when you bring them in into a, a shitstorm like that and you got bases loaded and nobody out or whatever the situation is, even the best relievers are going to struggle you know, to get out of that unscathed. And to the same exact thing when they get to the ninth, now that the Tigers have the lead, um, it's not a save situation anymore. He didn't go to his closer. He went and got Chris Young, and it only made things worse. So... Yeah, bad management beats a good bullpen, I think. Yeah, um, you know, it really was surprising to see Yost stick with his starter so long last night. Um, you know, they've really kind of pulled these guys, you know, at the first sign of trouble um, pretty much all season long and really dipped into that bullpen. You know, it's such a deep unit. Uh, I know they kind of got away. They they kind of lost a little bit of their depth uh, in that bullpen with the trade for Johnny Cueto. Uh, they gave up Brandon Finnegan, who was one of the guys they were using out of the bullpen for a little while. I want to say that um, one of the other guys they sent over to Cincinnati had also filled a few innings for them. So, you know, they did lose, you know, an arm or two out of that. But like you said, you add Chris Young, um, who has given the Tigers fits this year for what it's worth. Mm -hmm. um, you know, losing a little bit of that depth maybe has kind of changed his outlook and everything. But yeah, still, it's you know, one of those things that you still have to be able to manage it well. Um, and, yeah. you know, Yost is, you know, has all the tools there as far as his bullpen goes. But Yeah, it's, it's a lot deeper bullpen than the Tigers have. And, uh, I mean, I guess I can sort of understand bringing Chris Young into that game. But it, like I was saying earlier, it just seems to violate the, the sound philosophy of I'm going to run my best pitchers out beginning with the starter. And then the first guy out of my pen is going to be the aces, and they're going to go as long as they can. And it's just going to be really hard for you to come, you know, and beat these guys if you can last, you know, until the thirteenth inning. And now I'm dipping into the lower end of the bullpen. Okay, good luck. But until then, it's just not going to happen. But anyway, I I have rambled along, along rambled on long enough on the subject of the bullpen. Did you have any 
final thoughts of your own? This is the part of the podcast where Kurt would usually rant about the fan base, right? <laughs> I think, yes, and use naughty, naughty words in the process. All right. Well, we're actually going to go away with that this time around. Um, you know, I'm really just kind of looking forward to watching baseball the rest of the year. Um, you know, I noticed today that NFL preseason football is starting tonight, uh, and that just makes me very, very sad. Uh, so I'm just going to watch pretty much, you know, just watch as much baseball as I can the rest of the year, um, you know, and, and just enjoy it for what it's worth, whether it's the Tigers, you know, playing horribly or if it's some other team, you know, regular season playoffs, I'm just going to kind of soak up as much of it as I can before winter gets here and everything dies. <sighs> That's such a happy way to end things and everything dies. And then we get to look forward to the winter meetings and spring training. And the, yeah, but I, I hear you. Football season is all there. I, w- I was saying on Twitter, and uh, it, 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 I was reminded of again today. I listen to, to sports radio in the morning. Um, we actually have a very good sports duo here in Grand Rapids uh, for, for the morning uh, show. And, uh, you know, just it, I noticed that it's August. It's mid-August. And usually about this time, we're really starting to ramp up on tigers you know and they're in the news and they're on the sports shows and it's you know we're in the middle of a a pennant race and things are getting cool and for the first time in a really 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 long time that's just not the case and the the guys on radio all over xyt whether it's here in town they are so freaking excited that the nfl is starting because they finally don't have to talk about the tigers anymore and i go that is so it's so sad that we're in that position now so yeah i'm with you um this segment brought to you by MLB TV. Get yourself a subscription and uh, watch as much baseball as you can get your hands on because, yep, pretty soon it's uh, it's going to be football all the time. Well, your alternative is Lions, so if you're looking for something less depressing than the Tigers, uh, I don't know what to tell you. I I wouldn't know anything. I don't. Is that what our home team is? Is it the Lions? Is that? What, yeah, and okay. they've been bad for however long they've been in existence. I, I, I think they won a championship in the 40s. Did they? Were they, were they around back then? Yeah. <laughs> that's that's about as, you know, that, that's their their history right there. I, I have to be losing so much credibility right now with people listening. <laughs> Are you serious? You don't even know the Lions history? No, I don't. I really don't. Because when baseball ends, I, I like become a hermit and just shut everything down and don't even talk about sports or anything. I, I read. I read and watch movies and catch up on all the TV shows. So... There it is. Uh, I think we are just about out of time. Not that we're really watching a clock per se anymore, but I think we're out of topics. And uh, I need to get some late dinner here. So that is going to do it for another edition, or maybe the first edition of The Voice of the Turtle, which is our new podcast. And uh, thanks again to Aurelio Fan for suggesting that great title. Make sure to contact me, hookslidebyb at gmail.com, and I'll get you that. uh, Make sure you get that free t shirt. Rob, good talking to you again. Uh, Same time next week. Same time next week. All right. Uh, Oh, yeah, just to cover that that little bit of fun housekeeping and protocol, you can follow us online at Bless You Boys. You can get me on Twitter at HookslideBYB and Rob at BYBRob. All right. And that's going to do it. We'll talk to you next time on The Voice of the Turtle.